Father, and oh, how good it is to say, good morning, Father. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for the blessing of another day to spend here on earth with, with you and family and friends. But thank you so much more for that day when we'll awaken in your presence. There, Lord Jesus, to see you face to face. There to understand fully, even as we've been fully understood. So now I ask for your presence here. Please send your Holy Spirit to minister to all of us. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Could someone do the dollar collection, please? Yeah, we'll get started here. <clears throat> now, last week uh, we kind of finished up verse 19 of chapter 1, but I want to go back and just read verse 19 first, and then we'll proceed. 19 says, If ye be willing and obedient, you sh ye shall eat the good of the land. Now, to be able to go from a condition where their sins were considered abominable to where they are no more is beyond, certainly beyond my understanding and perhaps beyond the understanding of most of us mortals. But that's the reality of God's offer. He offered the nation of Israel, they could have all the blessings of the new covenant, of the heavenly Canaan, all the goods of the land without restriction or limits if they would just be willing and obedient. Just be willing and obedient. Unfortunately, we go on to verse 20. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. How is it that the Israelites could refuse such an offer? Why God in his wonderful forbearance his loving mercy and his unbelievable grace to those who deny him and in fact rebel against him could offer them complete forgiveness and restoration. That's beyond my understanding. But God's ways are not my ways. Although I wish his ways were my ways, always. His love is so much greater than mine. Jeremiah was nicknamed the, the crying prophet. Tells us in, in Lamentations that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. A morning like this, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. The sword of the Lord is a sword of God's justice, his wrath, and his vengeance, for which the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And it will be drawn against those who refuse to obey and honor him. The other sword is a sword of Israel's enemies, which were commissioned by God to destroy Israel and will be commissioned to destroy others to act in the same way, denying God and disobeying him. Matthew Henry says, when God offers, come and let us reason together, how can we possibly refuse such an offer? And now life and death, good and evil, are thus set before you. What will we choose? Twenty-one, Isaiah asks, How has the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it. But now, murderers. The characteristics of both Judah and Jerusalem had been known for, namely being a faithful city, being faithful to God and his earthly kingdom among men, being faithful as well to the nation of Israel known for properly administering justice for all. Where men were generally honest and not known for doing or acting unjustly. These qualities were not just evident on occasion, but they were prevalent consistently. However, again, Matthew Henry notes that neither the holy city nor the royal city, neither places where religion is professed nor places where government is administered are faithful to their trust if religion do not dwell in them. If religion do not dwell Did you notice in your reading that God is comparing his relationship with his people to a faithful marriage? If the people had turned from their worship of the true God to worshiping idols, their faith became defective, impure, and diluted. Idolatry 
either outward or inward, is spiritual adultery. Idolatry, whether it's outward or inward. is spiritual adultery. Breaking their commitment to God in order to love something else. Jesus spoke about the people of his day being adulterous. Even though they were religiously strict, still they were adulterous. Their love was greater for something else than it was for God. They spoke as if they loved God, but they didn't in reality. Oh, how we need to be true as the bride of Christ to him and refrain from the harlot. 22, thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Jerusalem lost its righteousness. Its princes or leaders that were to administer justice and fair judgment became as cruel and oppressive as the criminals and murderers from whom they were supposed to protect the citizens. Some of you may remember when uh, a similar situation existed right here in Torrington. When the police chief was arrested by the State Police Major Crime Division for his link to the mafia and illegal gambling. And as well, it's occurred in other towns and cities also. Even now, excuse me for getting a little political here, but even now, in some towns in Connecticut, We have convicted felons that have been reelected to public office. This should not be allowed. How brazen are they to even think of running for public office with the trust that's inherent in those offices? How misdirected and foolish to think the former perpetrators will not repeat their former behavior. In fact, in this last election, we have just seen a possible voter discrepancies set aside, just put them aside, and questionable balloting errors just not a factor anymore. Maybe later we'll look at it if someone remembers. Otherwise, it'll it'll just disappear. 
I'm sorry for getting political there on you. I, I, I can't understand it. Isaiah uses a similitude of silver to represent the former righteous behavior of Israel and dross to represent the current state of the nation. The former beauty has dimmed and become worthless through the evil and often treacherous treatment of the common people by the rulers that were set up to provide for their needs and safety. Again, the very men that should have been leaders used their power to subject the people while retaining a show and the pretense of virtue while they had neither. Even the priests in Isaiah's day perverted the word of God and used it to their own pursuit of wealth and power. How, how, how can we imagine that? But yet, yet we see it today. Not in this church. <laughs> Not here. <laughs> 23, the princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the father, fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. The princes, and again, he's talking about the leaders in each town, each city, who are apparently either offspring of the king or his close associates, and as such responsible for the welfare and care of the less fortunate, such as the fatherless and the widows. Instead, they were so greedy and always looking to receive bribes and gifts that they didn't even attempt to ensure the fair defense of those truly in need. Orphans and widows didn't have the means, they didn't have the money to offer bribes or gifts. So they were just plain out of luck. Someone once said that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that seems to be the situation of both Judah and Jerusalem. Here in this nation, from the time our representatives and senators are elected or re-elected, as soon as they arrive in Washington, they're required to spend a certain minimum amount of time on a daily basis soliciting donations to support them and their political parties on both sides of the aisle. 
We're paying them to accept gifts. And, and maybe, maybe bribes. Bribes can be in many ways. They can be trips to the big resorts. They can be trips to overseas. They, it, it all works out, I guess, but I don't understand it. And this would seem to explain why some serve such long terms of office. They get enough money and enough power and enough political backing. Just, just stay in office. Take a look at some time at the, at the tenures of some of the representatives and senators. It's like they're locked into office. Uh, I'm sorry, I got political again. I don't know. When will, if ever, our nation be able to rebound and correct such practices? One more. There's just been a move that extends the federal budget for about a month. Well, that's good to know, isn't it? We've seen in the past the actual shutdown of the government and many important services because our elected officials could not get away from their partisan priorities and reach an agreement. I would like to see it made law that if the government, government cannot reach agreement by the required date, that the elected and appointed officials from the president on down do not get paid for the duration of the shutdown. They don't mind taking it from others. The poor working people, they've taken it away from them. I'd like to see them not get paid for that time. And no retroactive arrangements for pay for that time either. How much has changed? How much has changed since Isaiah's time? Who was it that said, there's nothing new under the sun? Okay, 24. <laughs> Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin. God alone, who has the power to do what he says he will do, will punish the wicked rulers, the princes, and even, even the priests that are supposed to be his representatives here on earth, 
will be dealt with as his enemies, his opponents. He in his own time and by his own method will rid himself of all those that abuse their office and position and defy them, defy him. If those that profess the relationship with God do not conform to his image and his commands, they will feel the weight of the hand of the Almighty One of Israel. Instead of making his power available for the good of his chosen people, he will use that power to punish them. He will refine what is corrupted, in other words, the dross, and refine his church by reforming it with obedient leaders. And he'll do a little bit more. In 26, he says, And I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, listen now, afterward, thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. We won't take the time right now to review the book of Judges. We're having enough, spending enough time in Isaiah. But in Judges, you read about the 12 heroes that God directed to deliver Israel from its oppressors. But I just suggest you might consider reading Judges for your own review. But after the death of Joshua, the nation of Israel fell into chaos with each tribe trying to do their own thing. God appointed a series of judges to lead Israel and protect the nation from its enemies, both internal and external. But the people wanted to be ruled by kings, just like their neighboring nations. You know, God gave them what they wanted, what they prayed for. And that started with Saul. And that led also to the age of the prophets. They went along together. The prophets, God called to try to, supposedly to try to help the rulers and help the people of the nation. God's desire was, and I believe still is, that he alone would rule his people. Can you imagine can you imagine this wonderful nation if God was in charge? Oh, oh, oh. But God gave them what they asked for. 
Did we ever consider we might be wise to be careful what we pray for? Think of it. God says that after he has purged Judah and Jerusalem, after he's cleaned them up, both will once again be as he desires. And the people will be praised for their transformation. No higher praise can there be than to be called the city or nation of righteousness. This title is to be cherished and the desire of all that claim to know God as their Savior and Lord. When will this again be said of our nation? We go on in 28. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together. And they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed for they shall be ashamed of the oaks which they have desired. And ye shall be confounded for the gardens that ye have chosen. For ye shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth. And as a garden that hath no water. Do you see that both the openly profane who deny God and everything about him and the hypocrites that have talked the talk while living wicked lives will be consumed. God find those that oppose his very existence, saying there is no God, and those that say there is a God, but don't live like they know him, they are both abomination to him. Those that worship images, uh, Isaiah used the word, the words oaks and gardens, but those that worship idols will find that their idols will be powerless when they need them. The oaks will turn out to be naked and certainly not worthy of admiration. You just look out there and you can see them right now. And the gardens will dry up, wither, and not be able to nourish them. How disappointing and forsaken they will be at that time. When all they have believed in fails them completely. And the strong shall be as tow, and the maker of it as a spark. And they shall both burn together, and none shall quench them. Tow, and I hope I'm saying it right, T-O-W, is made of flax fibers and was used as tinder, as, as a wick. And when a spark is set to the tinder, it ignites a quick, devouring fire that can't be extinguished until it's burned out. And that's an, an example of that is the wicks that were used in cannons and in flintlock 
rifles. Anywhere where there was a spark, ignited a fast-burning fuse, if you, today we call them fuses, that you couldn't stop it, you know. And in the military, we very quickly learned if you throw the switch or pull the trigger, you can't stop it. Done. And that's the kind of fire that cannot be quenched. God compares strong men with evil deeds whose evil deeds devour them to burning tinder. Our lives can be destroyed quickly by a small but deadly spark of evil. I'm not going to ask for any volunteers, but I'm sure all of us can think of some time when some, let's call it a mistake we made, ended up being a terrible having a terrible result. And that brings me to the question, do we have any potential fire hazards that we need to remove from our lives? I'm not going to tell you. If we read the account of how the nation of Israel was reformed under King Hezekiah, now that's much in the future from where we are with Isaiah right now, but you can go ahead and read it. We'll find that good men came to be preferred while the wicked were ashamed. That's ahead of us. This unquenchable fire will eventually be seen as promised by Jesus in his revelation to John and to us. We'll see that unquenchable fire. Now I imagine for most of you this has been almost an exhaustive review of just chapter one so far. And I thank all of you for your patience with me. I sincerely hope, however, that everyone has a new or renewed picture of the times and conditions that Isaiah faced. I don't know about you, but when I, when I just read the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, so much of the time I don't know what he means. So that's why I've gone to Matthew Henry and to the uh, Life Application Bible for direction, for explanation for me. For those who have been to Bible college or seminary, uh, they understand already. But most of us haven't, and most of us, I don't know about the rest of you, most of us don't really understand much of what's said. Now, chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 are very similar to chapter 1 in that Isaiah calls to our attention much of the same sort of disobedience and defiance of God by Israel. Now certainly I suggest we all read 
those other chapters. Uh, kind of as uh, light, uh, time allows. But I want to I want to just jump ahead starting with next week to chapter 6. And there we'll find Isaiah's commission as a prophet and the powerful messages, prophecies for all who follow God as well as a continued call for doom and despair for the disobedient. Now I'd like to take just we got two or three minutes here before I turn it over to Pastor. For a critique of the direction I've taken so far, if you'd rather not speak your mind here in, in this forum, uh, please know that I'm always willing and able to discuss anything you may be concerned about in private <clears throat> or in writing. And I'd like, if possible, any comments from any of you now. Yes. Brother Jim, I just wanted to say, and I, I could be wrong on this, maybe you can do the research. I, I don't have my Schofield Bible to accompany this in a second, but I think the events, I, you know, he, he prophesied during several kings, of course, from 760 to 712 or so, and I think the events are about 51 years of time, or and I could be wrong, maybe 50 something years or 46 or something like that, but it's a, a bunch of years is the point, uh, 50, 60 years of debauchery and Any other comments? Is this way I'm doing it? I'd been hoping for a little more uh, participation and like that, but uh, is, is the way I'm, I've been going about it acceptable? Okay, then. Then uh, we'll, we'll try to continue on with the same, same type of coverage. I've learned so much. You, you, I'm not in no way because it's a blessing to me. It's not, there's nothing but a blessing. But the, uh, the time that I've, I've spent, I average about a day, about an hour a day in Isaiah alone besides other things. But, you know, about an hour a day, and I'm learning so much. I've been blessed so much. I've also been, been so convicted. And I, I hope that uh, I hope that we can all see the relationship, as Pastor just mentioned, about all those years and all those conditions and all those things that are going on around us today. 
Thank God for a remnant. Yes, my, Tim. Good. I, I'm looking forward to as we go into the next chapters because we start to hear about the Messiah. And uh, God bless you all. Thank you.